0: This is Neon Radio episode 116 with photographer Eric Ray Davidson. Welcome to Neon Radio, I'm your host, Nick Onkin, fashion and lifestyle photographer for today's top brands, performers, and game changers. On this podcast, we explore the body, mind, and soul of the creative entrepreneur, bringing you inspiring guests to help take your creativity, business, and life to the next level. Hello, Neonites, welcome to Neon Radio, I'm your host, Nick Onken. I just got back from a week of shoots and podcasts in LA and it felt so refreshing to get out and create and I got to do a photo shoot with one of my favorite brands, Aviator Nation and my friend Paige Mikoski, who runs that brand is a wonderful creative and I'm hoping to get her on the show here up and coming but we haven't done a shoot in years and I'm always excited to shoot with them because she has such great creative vision and we collaborate very well together. Also, don't forget to go and join the Neon Life community on Facebook. Go to neonlife.com slash community and join the group, share your work, share your inspiration and much, much more. Connect with other creatives. That's why I started the group. So come in and join and join the conversation. Creative momentum is highly important and something I felt this last week along with learning from today's podcast guest, photographer Eric Ray Davidson. I recently discovered his work, and he's a brilliant photographer who's really hit his stride in the last few years. And at this point, he's collaborated with so many high-level talents and celebrities, such as Ariana Grande, Chance the Rapper, Kevin Hart, Sean Penn, just to name a few, many sports players, and he is shooting all the time. He's constantly shooting cover stories for GQ, Cosmopolitan, Vanity Fair, Esquire, Billboard, and many other big magazines. I myself learned a lot from this interview, and I'm excited to share it with you. On this episode, we learn how Eric got his start in photography and what he learned through his time as a photo editor at Details Magazine through assisting and many more things that he learned along the way. We also learn how he collaborates with his talent and clients. And also, if you're a gear nerd out there, you'll learn what some of his favorite cameras and gear choices are. So with that, without further ado, I bring to you the one, the only Mr. Eric Ray Davidson. Today, I am in the home slash studio of Eric Bray Davidson. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks for coming out. Yeah, man. Love your work. I've uh, been seeing your name pop up here and there and and more often than not. And and I ran into... um, the peeps over at Cosmo and 17 and they all love to have good things to say about you as well. So the, the homies. Yeah. The man. homies. Yeah. So you're a cool dude. I want to have you on the show and talk creativity, life and all that good stuff. All right. Good stuff, huh? Yeah, man. So let's just kind of get started and, and hear about, you know, your story of how you got into photography and your creative background.
1: Yeah, I I got into photography at a pretty young age, at age 14 in high school. I only cared about pretty much soccer and then photography. So that was pretty much my track from the beginning. I spent a lot of time in the darkroom in high school and uh, was always kind of getting passes to get out of class to like be down there. And I think one year I even opened the yearbook and found out I was president of photography club, even though like (laughs) I didn't know that was like a thing. Yeah. Yeah, So basically high school was pretty much soccer and uh, photography. And I grew up in like kind of a conservative East coast town outside of Boston. And I was, I guess like the weird photo art kid, I guess. It it wasn't like American beauty, like quite that bad, but it was like a little bit (laughs) like that, like a very like athletic kind of conservative culture there. So it was, uh, it was, yeah, I was like the guy that did that thing. And it was immediately the thing that I, that I cared the most about. So I was pretty much like in it at like age 14. Yeah, And that's kind of an amazing gift because it it, like was made me able to really focus from an early age and yeah. kind of choose my life path based on that passion.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's great. And so you went through high school and, and I went through high school. I was in, I was outside of Boston from uh, age
1: five to 18. And then I went to school at art center in Pasadena, moved across the country, did that, <clears throat> did that for four years and it was really tough, mm-hmm. but a very character building. And then I was an assistant, moved to New York to be a full-time assistant, for a photographer there, did that for like six months, quit yeah. that job, took a job working at Details Magazine oh, wow. uh, as the bottom level in the photo department. And my, my title when I started was photo coordinator. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was really amazing. I spent like the first six months kind of fucking up everything I touched and almost getting fired, almost getting fired, almost getting fired, but then didn't. <laughs> and then, uh, and then really locked it in and loved it and loved my time there and, and, you know, got promoted. I think the day I, the day I resigned, but stayed on for a little bit for that transition. But you know, working there and the people I worked with was just such an incredible experience. So I did there for like a year and a half and left, and then started shooting from there. But already had this like kind of
0: editorial family that I was that I'm still super close with today. Yeah, absolutely love that. Now let's just kind of jump back on a couple of things that yeah. you you said here. So you went to you went to Art Center, and then you jumped into assisting right after that. And I guess what was the you know, how, how did school benefit you first of all? And then, you know, how did you kind of move into the industry slowly? Well,
1: I think, you know, school is interesting because you're, you're around a bunch of people that all want to do the same thing, but they all have very different kind of, I don't know, spiritual connections to it. And they all seem to be in it for different reasons. And so you're in a suddenly very competitive environment and not everyone that is teaching you or is around you necessarily wants to see you succeed in a weird way. And that's actually incredibly valuable because, you know, the the earlier you get tougher, the better. Because really, you know, when you graduate school, you come out thinking like, well, I'm a college graduate and I'm just gonna <laughs> walk right in and get jobs. But you were really, really on your own. And so school for me was this incredible character building experience where, you know. I toughened up a lot and I had yeah. a, a lot of problems with, you know, other students and some of the faculty members and stuff like that. But like, it was really good. Cause it really like in the early stages really like fueled me to prove people wrong. Mm. And so, you know, that that's a pretty valuable thing and it gives you time to like kind of mature as a person, but really, mm. I mean, it's about You know, it's the first chance you're going to have to start failing all the time. (laughs) And really, it's the most important thing uh, in the artistic process is like really consistently putting yourself in a position to fail and failing consistently over and over again. Because you learn so much from that, but also like the balls you have to have to continually fail and get back on. Yeah. Those are like that. That's kind of the the most important building blocks of being a working artist. Is that like kind of lack of kind of that lack of fear or like a little bit of denial mm-hmm. about who you are? Because like before you get to the place that you want to be, you have to think you're there way before then. Yeah. And, you know, you look back on it later in the years and you're like, man, I was like, <laughs> that was dog shit. But I really thought I was there. So yeah. like school is kind of a great place to start with the failure and like you will fail. And then you will also have people tell you that you, that you fail and you shouldn't be there and you should quit the whole time. So you're going to be encountering that kind of at an an early kind of point in your career. And I like, I certainly didn't go to school to like have fun. I went to school to put myself in a better position to be competitive when I was like 30, you know, and I started art center when I was twenty when i was 18 and the average age of freshman was like 26 and a half wow. so i had like a lot of older students in the yeah. class and i thought that that would you know push me really hard Yeah. Uh, you know harder than i was already kind of like pushing myself yeah uh, so that was that was really valuable you know and people always like like talk back and i'm like oh if you had to do it again would you do it the same and i'm like yeah i kind of would even though like for a lot of the times with the exception of this instructor, Paul Jasmine that I TA'd for and, uh, assisted for right out of school. Like that was an incredible experience, but there was a lot of adversity in there. And, uh, yeah, it kind of made me the person I am so that when I moved to New York and I started like, you know, assisting and then working at Condé Nast, like I'd already dealt with like like more difficult people at school than I dealt with in the, in the kind of the real world, which is, which is incredibly valuable. Yeah. Just those mechanisms for kind of dealing with that stuff. Like in the real world, you deal with people that like are competitive with you because they're competing with you and they don't want you to succeed. And, and you kind of are like, Oh, I get that. Like, that's cool. Like, but I'm not that worried about you. It's about me. But in school, when people come with the same attitude towards you, and sometimes faculty, it's real confusing. So yeah. the mechanism to deal with a person where you can't really understand the reason that they that they don't want you to succeed yeah. is harder than dealing yeah.
0: with the people in the real world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now given that, what would you what advice would you give to somebody who is getting out of school and trying to jump in the industry and and moving towards that? Well, you know, it's, it's, it's a real patience
1: game and you, you don't have the patience when you come out because you've spent three or four years like doing it. And you (laughs) really do, I think, kind of think you're going to come out the gates and you're going to walk in and and sit down in a meeting and, and interview with a photo editor and show them your book and then work right away. It doesn't work like that. And it's really a patience game, but really the whole secret to being an artist and building a career is just being prolific. You know, you have to create stuff all the time. And like, that's what I tell students when I go to visit the class. Mm. Now, even a couple of weeks ago, I'm like, listen, like you have to make work all the time because if you make work all the time and now with like Instagram and social media, you can really push it out there Mm -hmm. and you can show people that you're making work all the time. And if you're making work all the time, people are going to be drawn to that and they're going to want to be a part of that. Like if you don't make work enough and you don't put it out there enough, people are not going to think you're working all the time and they're not going to be drawn To working with you because they don't think that you're this kind of, you know, you have this momentum going. And so really, like, that's the real secret. And it's like, you know, sometimes people make creating work too complicated. But like, for me, it's like, if I have like a down moment, I'm going to go with just a camera or like maybe one guy and go shoot photos of a friend text them, hit them up. No big deal. Make it like super, super easy. And like, even like things like taking photos with your iPhone, like it stimulates your brain in the right kind of way. So it's like a real momentum thing. So that's, you know, that's my basic, most simple piece of advice for, for people coming out of school, aside from like assisting, it's just like, you got to make the work all the time. And you know, when you're not in school and no one's giving you assignments, like how do you get the ball rolling and how do you keep the momentum going? Because it's really, it's really a momentum thing. It's hard to get going sometimes Absolutely. and like, and to motivate yourself, but you just have to make work all the time. Yeah. It doesn't matter what it's for. Just make it for yourself. Just yeah. like, and make it cheap. Don't like think you have to like rent like $3,500 of equipment and have like catering <laughs> and like stylists. Like just go make photos. Yeah. Oh buddy. You know, go up the road, like whatever. Just take photos for ten minutes outside. And like, make it really simple. So I, I, you know, I, and I still very much like practice that when I'm not like in the middle of like three or
0: four jobs, which is not like a lot. But there are times <laughs> when I'm like oh, I have like a day. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, So when you were so you jumped off into assisting after school, how did you enter that assisting world? So I, I was TAing for Paul Jasmine at school. So
1: I was assisting his class for like. Mm-hmm. Probably three or four semesters. And so I got to, you know, work on the class with him, but then also work on jobs that he was doing outside in the field. And so I was able to like do like little productions and I was doing things like gophering, like driving a model from her apartment to the desert or like (laughs) going to get coffee or like maybe loading some film or something like a little bit of everything. And I was just happy to be a part of it. And like, really, that's the best thing you can do. And even internships in the beginning, is just be around that stuff because you need to like learn by osmosis. Like you can yeah. learn by just seeing what's going on around you. And like, you know, internships, the way they are now, like a couple people really fucked it up for everyone because, you know, interns thought they were working too hard and they sued companies and internships are now banned at a lot of companies. And it's a real, it's oh, a real wow. problem, but like really just getting in on any level, like yeah. literally like being a PA because, you know, you meet, you meet, uh, you one assistant and then turns into another job and another job. It's a real, it's a real network community.
0: Mm, mm, Yeah. That makes sense.
1: So you assisted for how long? I assisted Paul for maybe like six months. And then I assisted this other guy in New York for six months. So Mm -hmm. maybe like, you know, maybe, I mean, it was a, I was a full-time first in New York for six months. Uh, and then for Paul it was like kind of through school for maybe like six months. So maybe like, yeah, you know, I, I didn't, Kind of know it was going to be like that. And the magazine thing was interesting because like when I was growing up, I was always like, Oh, it'd be so cool. Like working a magazine and it's like so sexy and glamorous. <laughs> and like I, my bedroom was like covered in like Rolling Stone covers and stuff yeah. like that. And I always thought like, Oh, that'd be really cool. And then I sort of forgot about it and then when I quit the job assisting in New York, I found the job at details on this website called media bistro. Mm, so just like a that. public place. And I applied for the job and I had no experience <laughs> to speak of, but I just kind of went in there with the right attitude. And I think that, you know, people can pick up on that. And I think one of the reasons I work so much is because of that. And so like, you just kind of bring that excitement that enthusiasm and kind of, you know, a work ethic to things and and, and people respond to that. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I could have assisted longer, but it just, it's just not where it took me. Yeah, and I yeah. think like one of the big things is that like, is to kind of have an open mind with the opportunities as they present themselves, right. because sometimes like things happen and you think it's going to go a different way. But if you, if you
0: something, you to take take advantage of that opportunity and see where it takes you. Yeah, absolutely. So what did the edit, what did getting a job in the editorial world teach you?
1: Oh man, it was, it's just, it's so, it, you have a perception of how it is, at a magazine, if you're a photographer, but until you've worked there, y- you can't really comprehend because the the, the, the type of large scale collaboration that happens in a magazine yeah. with all the political structure and the politics between like different departments and even within the department uh, is very, very interesting. So you get to see like what goes into making just one photo all the way up to a cover. Mm. And so it's really about Like how good can you be at collaborating and like the better you are at collaborating working with lots of people and the more you can kind of spread like an excitement and enjoyment for what you're doing through a bunch of people, the more successful you're going to be like, and you know, one of the reasons that I, that I, that I do work and I do so many covers is because I am fascinated with the idea of successful, large group collaboration. Like for me, the more people that are involved, like the better. Yeah. Like I'll be on I've been on set with, you know, four people all the way to like maybe like 65 people on like an ad job wow. uh, or, you know what I mean? And that's, that's like such a thrill because really like, like that's your world. Like yeah. when I'm, when I have that set of that many people, like i that's it. That's my world. And you're in it and I'm running it. And you know, you're responsible for everything that goes on. Yeah. Like, and so you have to be acutely aware of it and make sure everyone's in like having a good time. And like working at a magazine really exposes you to how intricate working in a large group is and yeah. kind of understanding each, per, each person, each collaborators nuances and kind of yeah. how to put them all together to make the best final project. And, you know, I, I learned stuff, on every shoot Mm -hmm. that I do about collaborating because everybody's different and they Mm -hmm. all combine into this different kind of formula. And like, how can you improve that and grow that while working within
0: the identity of the brand that you're working for? Absolutely. So what would you say your approach is in, you know, in terms of collaboration and running a set like that, you know, how do you work with people? What's your, how do you keep that fascination and still like the direction and the vision? (laughs) You have to like, everyone that's doing the job in this industry got into it at a certain
1: point because they loved that thing. There was like this moment before they like got the job or whatever, where they were like, Oh fuck, this is fucking awesome. And I like, I want to be a stylist or I want to be a makeup artist. I want to be a photographer. I want to be an art director. And they were like, they just had this moment. So like really my, that my, my kind of job on every set is to, is to reconnect each person with that feeling that they had at the beginning. And so it's like this excitement. So how do you like approach people and listen to them and communicate with them and and give them the space to kind of, uh, feel like they're being trusted. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I'm a big like believer in hiring good people and like letting them do their thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't meddle too much in the hair and the makeup and the styling because I, you know, I work with amazing people and I'm like, listen, I'm going to do this big thing. And you do that thing and you do that thing. and like, let's do it together and let's have fun with it. Yeah. And and so you give people their space to do their thing. And then, and, and when the people that are around you are used to operate at a high level, you can get some really amazing stuff. And then, it's kind of the same thing with talent. You just want people to enjoy being there, you know, because a lot of these days can be really long and, yeah, you know, people have other, has real lives going on. And, and, yeah. and this can be kind of like a, an, an escape from that because there's yeah. just something so romantic about like a, a photo shoot environment and a big set and stuff. So I just want to, I just want people to have like the best experience and yeah. be like really kind of like out of themselves within that day. Cause it's like this fantasy that we're creating.
0: Absolutely. So how do you facilitate that for the talent?
1: Um, you know, you just, you want to listen to them and you want to, and and you want to understand like where they are. And then you want to make them feel like you will present them in the best possible way Mm -hmm. and like make it fun for them. Like I try and make all my sets fun for everybody and a lot of communication and stuff like that. And so, If it's fun and it's exciting, people stay engaged. And if they stay engaged and you keep the pace moving, they'll have fun throughout the day. I try and move like do a lot of shots, but I try and move quickly as quick as possible through each one Mm -hmm. so that we're not stuck on one thing. And so people don't get like settled. And, you know, in terms of my direction, I throw a lot of stuff at talent to keep them like from kind of getting sleepy yeah. or apathetic. Like, yeah. it's like I say on the end of every set, like everybody leaves tired, <laughs> everybody <laughs> leaves tired. Cause it's a, it's a real pace game. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's like, I, it's my relationships with talent because I work with a lot of them so many times is mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's very important to me. And it's very important that, you know, talent feels like I have their, their best interests in, in mind and that, you yeah. know, that I'm, that I'm going to make them look and feel their best throughout the day. That's sort of my thing. I want to I want, I want everyone to leave with, with like this very positive kind of opinion of like what being on a photo shoot and what working with another artist can, can be like at its best. Yeah, absolutely. Are you very vocal director as you're shooting all the time? (laughs) So vocal. (laughs) A lot of times I like take people aside and give them like the heads up. Like, we throw a lot of shit at you and it's not all going to make sense, but like just, you know, just, just ride the wave. And like, I've definitely had a few talent, like kind of freak out because it's a lot, but I do tell them ahead of time. You and most people are, are really into like lots and lots of direction. And, yeah. and so that's what I give most people. And sometimes like with some talent, you have to like reel it in a little bit. Yeah. Um, but you can, you can read the room and you can read them and you can see how much they want. And sometimes you get into a rhythm where you can, you know, give less towards the end. If you feel like they're kind of in the rhythm of giving a, a lot of variation, because it's, for me, it's a real variation game. Yeah. Like I want a lot of different looking stuff. And so the tone throughout the day should have like a really good variation. Yeah from like serious to like a little bit more joyful and like I need a balance. Absolutely. So, you know, it's to hit, to hit all those notes requires
0: a pretty high energy level. <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It sounds like right. it. Is that something that you feel has come naturally to you or is that something you know, you've I worked think, on? Yeah. I've
1: definitely like early, I, you know, early on I was into like these kind of quiet portraits and, and, and then I had you know my agents at the time, my agent Alex at the time, who's now at, Cosmo tell me that I should bring a little bit more of like who I was into my work and a little bit more of that energy. Yeah. So I was like, all right. So I started to like bring a little bit more of that, like excitement, that energy into it. And it was, it, it kind of really started something. And I started to find that I was getting more out of talent. And so I sort of continued to kind of build on that and started to learn about the psychology of directing talent and, you know, establishing trust with talent in a very short window, because really like you only have like 10 minutes in the beginning to get the trust of talent. And if you don't get it, then you're never going to get it. So like, for me, it was all about just continually learning about the, the, and improving my handling of the psychology of of working with someone and giving direction. But yeah, it's, it's something that like grows and I'm always like trying to figure out ways to get better at it. Absolutely. So how did you learn that? Like, did you read a book? Did you, watch people on set. No, I just, I just got in there. I just got in there and I tried different things and I was never like, I was honestly like, I've like, I taught myself most of my lighting cause mm. I didn't really like learn a lot about lighting in school. And you know, like Paul, who I worked with, Paul Jasmine was like a real natural light guy. Mm-hmm. So I learned from him how to see light, but not necessarily how to create light. Right. So I spent the first many years of my career trying to figure out lighting and and i man i fucked up so much and i look (laughs) i look back at it now and there's just so much garbage in there and i'm like man like i can't believe like gq hired me for so long but really it was because of like because of my attitude and my relationships and my ability to kind of like work hard and and kind of be there and be like a real team player but you know with the direction and stuff you just there's you just got to try different things all the time and that's kind of how you get there and 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 Always try new things. Yeah, and yeah. not be afraid, you know, to be able to do it. I never, I never wanted to be the photographer that just did one thing. So I was always trying lots of different things. And in the beginning, that's tough because people want to hire you to be that. They want to be like hire the guy that does that thing, right? And if you are the guy that does a lot of things, sometimes it's very confusing. So you know, you so you learn a lot of different things by by being willing to try a lot of different things all Absolutely. the time. And fail so yeah, it's kind of just, it's, you know, it's practice, 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 you yeah. know, and real shoots are practice and, you know, personal shoots are practice. And it's just, it's just, you know, obsessing about the theory of how you get better all the time, because yeah. really like, that's it. Like the, the only thing you have to worry about is getting better. And you're not really competing with anybody other than yourself Yeah, at the end of the day. And so like, that's, that's sort of the core of it. Yeah. The more you click, the better you get. Right. Pretty much. Yeah. And like, (laughs) like I do a thing at the end of every shoot, either just with myself or with my crew and we kind of group up and we, we do like an evaluation of the day and we're like, all right, like given how the day went, like if we had to do it again, what would we do differently? Yeah. And so like, that's a really important kind of process because you're able to be critical even in moments where you feel like you succeeded a lot. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's incredibly valuable to 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 really pay attention to everything that went on, and always try and find little things to improve on, because there'll always be stuff to improve on. Yeah. And if listen, if you think there isn't stuff to improve
0: on, you're 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 wrong,
1: and you're <laughs> headed down a dangerous path. I think yeah. every day, man. Yeah. every, 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 every day.
0: day, every day. So, what have you found that you found works best, especially like getting talent to trust you in in a ten minute or a short, very.
1: Well, it's I just, see. it's just a communication thing. You know what I mean? And uh, you just got to listen and kind of understand where the person's coming from and kind of just, I mean, that's it. I mean, it's, it's a really simple thing, but it's hard to describe how to get there other than just being like a real human being Absolutely. and and talking to other people that are artists. Yeah. And it's really like, you know, the talent, there are other artists. And so it's like, all right, how do you talk to another artist? and how to communicate, like how you are going to collaborate? Because really like when you work with talent, like that's a collaboration right there. So like, how do you communicate about the collaboration you're going to have with the person in front of the camera? Mm-hmm. And so it's, you just got to talk, talk, yeah. talk, and you got to listen and you got to, you got to read the person. And there's, yeah. I mean, that's, you, just, <laughs> you either can, you either can do that or you can't at a certain point. Like you can always get better at it, but like, I, yeah, I know tons. I know that, you know, tons of people that work that, that have, that aren't able to really communicate properly like that. And that's like kind of the thing that I, it, kind of enjoy the most.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's, let's jump back a little bit. How do you, how, what's your creative process in terms of preparing for a shoot, whether, you know, I guess probably more of a, a primarily a shoot for an editorial. Um, how much are you pulling tears and inspiration stuff and having it pretty dialed in? Are you winging it on set? Like how do you, like each you each brand that I
1: work for has like a, a certain type of identity. Yeah. And that sort of dictates a lot of the tone Mm-hmm. But obviously like with the books that I work for with like, you know, Cosmo and GQ, I've been working for them for a long time. So I'm very aware of like the brand tone and the identity. And so you're already like kind of operating within those parameters. So you're just trying to hit those notes in the day. So my, like my prep is, I don't really like pull any tears or anything. I just have in mind the tone that I want Mm -hmm. and the lighting scheme that I have is generally you know, per the client, uh, per like what I've developed with the client. Yeah. Um, and so I stick to kind of that thing. And I'll do like I'll like try some new things here and there, but I kind of know how I'm gonna like light the stuff. And we get the art direction and uh the set design and stuff done obviously beforehand. But I just go in with a general kind of tone. Yeah. And and then I just get a ton of variation. And I like kind of like you know, edit down as I go. And a lot of times, like I'll do like layouts as I go, just to like make sure I have, or I'm hitting all the notes and getting the variation and just kind of go on it. Like right. I, I, you know, you can prepare as much as you want, but like, there's so many variables that, you know, all your preparation could be out the window in a second. If the person shows up and doesn't want to wear something or is in a different mood than you thought, or their publicist doesn't want them doing that kind of thing. <laughs> so it's like, you just kind of have to be like, uh, you know, on your toes and head out of swivel the whole time and be able yeah. to adapt, like instantly yeah. at all times, you have to be able to adapt. And so, you know, for me, I try and leave things open enough that, you know, the things I have to adapt to just kind of steer me through the day. Absolutely. So, yeah, I don't, you know, it's very important to be aware of the work that's being made in the round in the world around you, but not be kind of fixated on it yeah. and not be like, you know, focus too much on what other people are doing, but you, but you have to be aware of it. Like yeah. you, there might be photographers that you don't, you, you think that are fucking terrible, but like they work all the time. Yeah. So you got to be like, all right, like this person, like I don't necessarily like their work and like whatever, but like they work all the time. So like, what can I take from like what they do and kind of like mix it into my world to kind of, to kind of grow yeah, like, you know, my, my workload or the stuff that I'm creating. So yeah, that that's kind of how it is. The prep work is it's yeah, it's more like understanding the tone you want. And once you understand the tone you want, you can put the rest of the stuff together.
0: It sounds like when you're working with a editorial, you guys are already kind of the the photo editor, whoever they, you guys are working together to plan.
1: Oh, for sure. Stuff. And we, you know, for sure. And, you know, you know, if you get to the point where you're doing covers a lot for editorial, like you're a high enough up in the and the creative collaborative process where it's very fluid and you know, you don't have, there's a, a great shorthand, uh, that happens where you don't have to like talk stuff to death. You know, like for me, it's like the hardest thing I ever have to do are large conference calls. Cause oh my God. I mean, God. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, it's such, it's so hard because you're always stepping on other people's words. And it's like, for me, like I do pride myself on being such a good communicator but on the phone with a bunch of people and a bad connection and delays and not being able to see people's faces, it becomes really challenging. And, and sometimes with newer clients, you have to do that in the beginning. And it, it's a little – it, I'm not able to like grab it as well all the time. Yeah. And so um, – You have to watch out for other people's egos and – it's just, I, you know, you, you're you trying to understand if it's like new people and you're doing a conference call and you still don't totally understand like the hierarchy or like what their tendencies are as a creative or how they like things to be run or whatever. It's a little tricky, uh, you know, on I, I, there's no amount of people on set that I have a problem like communicating with. Perfectly. But the conference, I would like to never do a conference call again, to be completely (laughs) honest. You know, I, you know, it's, it's too much risk of uh, misinterpreting the kind of tone or excitement for me in a conference call. You know what I mean? Uh, it, you know, and it, if there's no like uh, strong leadership on the conference call and you're not really sure who's the leading it, then it's just, it's just a mess. All and right. then it just reflects poorly on me it, it, because everything does, it doesn't matter. Like if stuff goes wrong for any reason, it's all falls on you, the wins and the losses. And so the conference call for me is, is yeah, I've definitely had some wonky. Uh, it's just like, can we just, can we not? <laughs> and the minutiae, right? Like, well, it's just, and then it's like, when, and then when does it end? You're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I've left conference calls, like gone the conference calls thinking it was all very 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 simple and straightforward and the communication was great and then having left the conference calls completely confused like and, and nobody's on the same page and what are we doing and how i understand i was so i, I thought everyone I you know yeah so i'd like to i'd like to stop doing those and forever sometimes you're like do i even need to be here for this yeah pretty pretty <laughs> pretty much pretty much uh but the client thing uh you get in a rhythm with your clients and yeah. you understand each other and you know it's like if you work for a brand for a long time you understand the identity and so it's like how do you st- how do you how do you play ball with that? It's like, you know, I, I shoot stuff differently for different clients and it's all intentional. Yeah. It's not that I, you know, it's just that I can shoot things a lot of different ways. Yeah. So I adapt per the client. And I think one of the mistakes people make kind of coming out of the gates is unwillingness to kind of play ball with the brand you're working with and being like, I'm I'm the photographer and like, it has to be my way or the highway or whatever. And That's not true. Like there's a lot of people involved and you can like flex and bend and you can still operate within the identity of the brand and get something that's cool and true to you. Yeah. And I think that's, what's a little tricky for people in the beginning. I don't want to shoot that way because it's corny or whatever, but like there's a way, there's always a way to like make it work within there. But uh, you know, you do find yourself kind of resisting that. Um, uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah. Kind of sounds like the best idea wins. Yeah. Kind
1: of, but also because it's such a big collaboration, Like, and you're a part of that. Like you want to be a part of it. You know, you don't want to be so difficult or so stuck to your things that that people are like, all
0: right, well, I don't want this person to be a part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's great stuff, man. What do you feel like has been the biggest challenge throughout your career?
1: I mean, I think it comes back to wanting to do a lot of different types of looking stuff you know, and yeah. wanting to shoot a lot of different types of content. Mm-hmm. And again, like people in the beginning and, and in the beginning want you to be the guy that does that thing. And mm-hmm. so like, if you want to shoot a lot of different kinds of stuff, if you want to do men's covers and women's covers and mm-hmm. like you know, athletes and musicians and stuff like that, and, and and you want to live in a lot of different worlds, sometimes people are a little confused by that. And you're always like trying different things and stylistically, like, you know if you want to try different things it's going to sometimes confuse people yeah but i was never really scared of doing that but i think that's probably the early challenge is making people understand what you do and why you do it and that you are able to do things in a different way yeah. and that you're not doing them because you're not consistent you're doing them in a different way like intentionally per like the brand or tone you want to set for it. I think that's, I think that's, I think that's the, the hardest thing in the beginning, uh, is, is kind of making people understand you. And then when you work with someone for a long time and they see like, Oh, like this guy can like shoot pretty much anything like that. They,
0: they, they understand you in a yeah. way
1: that maybe sometimes if someone hasn't worked to you for a while, they don't totally understand. Yeah.
0: But you've, you've done a good job of keeping your DNA within your imagery, but across a, a, a wide range.
1: Yeah. And it starts to it it congeals after a while, but in the beginning it's definitely let's you shoot a lot of different kinds of stuff because in the beginning you should shoot any job that comes to you. You should. I did like in the beginning. I would do travel. I did food. Like yeah. still life. Like anything. You should shoot literally anything. And I do believe the test of like a really great photographer is the ability to literally shoot anything yeah. and make it look great and 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 interesting and cool and uh, <laughs> evocative <laughs> or whatever uh, you know. And so you know, I, in the beginning, it's important to do that. But it does kind of it does kind of spread you all over. Yeah. You know, and I think that. I think it's the, the most fun that I have is, is because of all the different types of things I'm able to shoot.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think makes an iconic image? I just think that it, it, it I mean, I'm into simplicity. Like most of the
1: most, most of the work that I do that I really love the most are the most simple. And I think that iconic things are generally pretty simple and it's about character and it's about like the fashion and the styling, not dictating, or being so loud that it overshadows the image. And so I think that uh, that is what makes stuff iconic for me.
0: Absolutely. Simplicity. So iconic imagery, simplicity. Simplicity is the key.
1: Yeah, I think you want, I don't think you want to be able to necessarily attach a date and a time to the photo.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You kind of want it to last forever. So it's really about the character and the engagement. Uh, with the talent and then also the simplicity is is really, really key to that.
0: Absolutely. Love that. Love that. Um, Now I, I, I heard, I read a little bit about you having 48 seconds to shoot Kira Knightley are you able to would you 40 hey i was so uh,
1: 48 or it was it was it was really short. i actually remember looking at the timestamps on it i did this package for people magazine and it was at the toronto film festival mm-hmm. and a lot of those film festival jobs are real run and gun and yeah. you have very little time and you're tucked into these tiny little rooms and stuff like that and you have to again really think on your feet and really improvise at at every turn because basically like you're being shuffled around and you're being put in a hotel room and you know with her you know i was shooting her and uh, Benedict cover together and she showed up first. And I like just kind of looked in the next room and someone had cramped all the furniture in the next room and it looked like a bomb went off and she was kind of there. And I was like, "I'm oh, gonna take your photo of your singles before. And like a lot of times in those situations, like if people are doing press with another person, they're only going to do photos with the other person. They're not going to do singles. But like sometimes if you ask talent nicely and respectful and you ask them, they'll say yes. And so like, I was able to grab her for, you know, that short amount of time before and just you know, put her in that room and someone like handed her that cup of tea. And I was like, this is perfect. And so yeah. I was just able to like, kind of throw a lot of stuff at it. And it was just, it was so, again, it was so simple. It was just me and a camera. And I think that is for me kind of speaks to what I'm always trying to achieve is that kind of, you know, simplicity. Yeah, absolutely.
0: it was a beautiful image. It was,
1: it was, it was really fun. And it's just, yeah, you just have these, sometimes you have these tiny little windows and sometimes like that's the best thing because you get put in this tiny little box and you, you can't, you don't have the time to overthink things. You just have to go and not think. And I, I sometimes think that too much thought uh, especially in a collaborative environment can really crush that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so speed kind of helps. And if you're doing speed and you don't have a lot of time, people don't have a lot of time to overthink things. And if you don't, overthink things. You're just going on intuition and instinct. And that's, and, and, and that's kind of where it goes. And like, I'll just shoot a lot of frames and know it's there because I'm going to shoot a lot
0: yeah. and I'm going to trust that, that, that it's in the camera. Yeah. Totally love that. Yeah. Sometimes the, my, my favorite stuff is just one-on-one with the talent, not even a crew.
1: You always want to like get back to that feeling, even if there's 40 people behind yeah. you. So like a lot of what I do with connecting with talent is like, even when it's a giant set is getting that feeling yeah. I just want the intimacy. Like, I want to see myself in in the work. Yeah. Like, I want to see that, like, connection.
0: How do you do that when you're, you know, you have 25 people on set and you want that feeling? Do you take them aside? Do you just. Sometimes you just have a. Yeah. I mean, I
1: definitely communicate with them as, as soon as possible about how the day's going to go and just kind of keep communication going the whole time and take them aside or or have like words with them like just the two of us you know when possible and kind of just try to read their tone and 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 make sure that the room around them is controlled and that the the mood is right yeah and uh really it's just as simple as just controlling the entire environment (laughs) (laughs) with your mind that's it sounds crazy but like really you can that's your world and so like just just make the decision. You're going to control it and control the tone. And then it's amazing. Yeah. It's you're the Jedi. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Like <laughs> it, it seems ridiculous, but it's kind of like that. You really, like I really make a decision that I'm going to really control the tone of the day. Mm-hmm. And like stuff always comes up. Like uh stuff always comes up. Like, you know, talent ha- will have, you know, something that they're dealing with or publicist will have something that they're dealing with or, they've got different ideas and stuff. So there's always going to be stuff and you have to stay like really cool about it and like not let anything stress you out. And like mm-hmm. you, you have to be, you have to be able to be standing in front of the house on fire and not let it show <laughs> on your face because people, people look to you for all that. You yeah. dictate the entire, you dictate the entire mood of the entire room by how you react to everything, mm-hmm. and how you communicate and like what your presence is on set. So like really if you control what you put out, you can, you can control the environment. Yeah. And it, that for me is really fascinating. Like I know at the end of a job when it's, I, I know when I've really locked down the room and I can really feel it. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of a, an awesome feeling, especially when there are like 40 people there or something it's like there's a big studio. Unless everyone's like the, the budget's a, it's a high budget. And yeah. like people are investing a lot and you know, the covers, the stakes are always so high. And so it's like, those are pressure environments and, mm-hmm. I just love that. I love that. I love the stakes Keep on that. Pressure. I love I just I, lo- I love that it's I love that it's important and everyone is there t- trying to do their best and you know especially with you know with GQ my relationship with Jim Jim Moore the creative director is really incredible because he he's a genius. He's a total genius, but he's so good at pushing everybody to be their best and to be better than their best last time. And it is really fascinating experience to work alongside someone who's been working for so long and has worked with so many uh, like icons. And so for me to be able to kind of come up, you know, from doing smaller stuff to doing covers with him has been really fascinating experience, but really just, you know, just try and be better than the last time and try and bring something more and try and push yourself and push yourself and push yourself and really leave it all there. But again, like, you know, high functioning collaborative environments lead to your best possible work. So it's like, you should be around great people that push each other, you know, and, and you know, when you're, when you're getting there and when you're not getting there, like you, you all know it together. And it's not like a, Oh, it doesn't really matter who's not doing it right. Like, let's lift the entire
0: thing up together Mm -hmm. because it's all a reflection of that. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. This is a great segue into my next, like questions here and you know I, I realize like so much of the creative journey and game is so much of your inner game internally your mental mental game what would you say is do you have any common practices what do you how do you feel about that that those thoughts
1: <laughs> just on how you keep yourself in the right headspace all the time headspace like do you do any you know, sort of
0: practices like, you know
1: i you know I, I try and eat really well yeah you know I I drank a lot in my 20s but I don't really do that much anymore uh, I, I work at a standing desk <laughs> I, I, I do like enough little workouts at home to keep my kind of my my body feeling good yeah. and, and my brain feeling good because of that I take care of myself you know uh, having a child made me like kind of a better artist and a better human overall which is really interesting as a to be become a better artist throughout my child. Yeah. but um you know <laughs> It's such a gift to be able to make a living taking photos. Like it's incredible, right? And like some days you get paid a ton of money and it's incredible and some days you don't get paid that much but it all kind of levels out. But the yeah. fact that like I'm able to like have a life uh and 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 you know you know be able to make money to support you know with you know with my family and and being able to do that stuff from taking photos is really incredible. So you have to remember like how fortunate you are all Mm -hmm. the time and not get like, don't get focused on like the slow times, Mm -hmm. just like be focused on like always making new work. And so it's like, how do you keep yourself stimulated and how do you stay kind of excited about it? Because like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff, especially early on in the business where you just feel like, you know, sometimes you're not making any progress. You're not working or like, why the fuck is that person working so much? And I'm not working. You get, it's very easy to become focused on other people. And so really the focus is really on yourself. Like Mm -hmm. every day is like, how can I get better? Can I get better? Not like, how can I get that job that that person got? Like, how can I get better? So the next time it comes around, I get the job because I'm better. And how can I improve all the time? So really it's like, it's just, it's really just how do you improve as an artist? Yeah. And uh, how do you become more efficient and how do you get better at making decisions? um every day yeah every day um, so it's a lot of self analyzation <laughs> stuff like that Absolutely. and and critical and critical th- and, critic- and being critical of yourself <laughs> in a way where, if something's wrong and someone's going to tell you that it's wrong, you already know it's wrong. Mm. So you have to be your toughest critic in a way where you see the flaws. So if someone else comes and says it, you're not going to be upset because like, all right, right, I do that. Oh, that like that shot's not as good, but like, yeah, I know. So what am I going to do next time to improve on it and be critical of yourself in a way where you, where you can grow as an artist, but not into the point where you can't enjoy it. Yeah. Because there's really this fine line between like, just beating up on yourself enough to make yourself better, (laughs) but to not make yourself miserable because there's no point in becoming a successful artist if you're not enjoying it. Yeah. And I think that that a lot of people fall into that trap where they can become very professionally successful, but don't enjoy themselves. Mm. And it shows on set. Yeah. Uh, You know, a lot of my assistants work with a lot of other photographers. And so I hear all the stories of people not treating people well and not being happy and being miserable and being cranky and just not like making the environments enjoyable. And, you know, very precious with the idea of what a photographer should represent and be. Yeah. And so when I hear that stuff, it super bums me out. Yeah. Or when people are not treating people respectfully or whatever, like, and not just harboring environments that are fun because like, we're all making art together.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now you said, now you mentioned making better decisions and I think that's a huge key in progressing in life and business and everything, how have you managed to make better decisions and what do you consider, you know, I guess sometimes fat making a decision is even better than making the right decision. Well,
1: yeah, the worst thing you can make is no decision. Yeah. Right. And like a lot of times people look to you to make the decisions and uh, you you have to be ready to make them Mm -hmm. at all times. But you know, yeah, it is, it is making a decision is, is better than making no decision. And, um, You get better at making decisions by making decisions, even if they're wrong, you know (laughs) what I mean? Like even if they're wrong. And again, a lot of that comes from doing that, like evaluation at the end of every day that I do after every shoot. Like what decisions did I make that were good? And what decisions did I make that were wrong? Even so much as like, oh, did I use the wrong lens? Like did I shoot at the wrong aperture? Yeah. Did I like, you, you know, those kind of things. Did I spend too long on that shot? did I not spend long enough on that shot? That's generally my thing. It's like, I like to move quick. So I have to always be, make sure that like, I feel like I have it and not dwell on it. But every you, you learn about being better at decisions by figuring out which decisions you
0: made were right and which just which were wrong. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's key. It's huge. Yeah. Um, when you're on set and you're going back and forth between managing people and managing the creative direction how do you, how do you keep that streamline? How do you keep it moving and flowing and into the next? And, you know, as you said, like, keeping the flow of the day.
1: We usually know how many shots you're going to
0: do going into the day. Yeah.
1: So you kind of have an idea of that. And then for me, it's like, I'll like to look at this, look at the stuff I'm shooting as I go and like process some, some photos out and, and edit them aside. So I know what I've hit so far. Mm-hmm. So I don't hit the same note too many times. Like if I want that big up moment, like I don't have to hit it a certain amount of times. And so if I, if I, if I hit it a few times, I feel like I have it, then I can go on to a different type of tone. Uh, that's kind of, for me, the best way to streamline is just knowing what you have so far. So you know what you need to get to fill it in because like in an eight page story, like I know I want to have the full range from the talent of full range of emotions. So it's like, I, I can pretty much figure out where I've gone to and where I need to go based on looking at what I've gotten as I go, but like quickly, like not pulling, not spending a lot of time, like editing, like going fast and just kind of knowing that it's there. Yeah like it's a, it's a lot about knowing. Yeah. It's just about knowing. It's just, and you just, <laughs> yeah, you just, you just, you just, you just, uh, you get a feeling after a while of when you've got it. Yeah. And obviously with some, in some collaborative environments, when you're working with someone that's very senior and they say also to you that you have it, then you move and you have that kind of confidence. But sometimes you have to move even if people are not totally sure if you know. Yeah. So there's a little bit of like, you have to be like, I guess, like brave in a sense that like, I know I haven't, I can move on, yeah. you know? And then every, every once in a while, if you have, if you go really fast and you cook through the shoot and you have a little bit of time, you can like be like, you know what? Like shot three, like let's take another pass of that. Get redressed. Let's take another pass. Of that. I feel like that was our like weak moment. Yeah. And we go back and reshoot that or like town will be like, oh, I didn't like my hair in that shot. And you're like, fuck it. Let's like, let's just redo what we got all the time. And that's kind of one of the advantages of moving really fast is being able to get more and
0: then like weed out some of the stuff that's not as strong. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when you're directing you you get a lot of gestures and and different things yeah. that are natural to that talent. Yeah. Is that something that happens spontaneously or do you kind of have ideas in mind that
1: you uh, uh, I, kind, I kind of both. It's it it is it's it's a uh, create a lot of chaos on set, but like in a <laughs> controlled way and I overstimulate talent so that they can put these things out and I, th- and I and i and i'll say some things that make sense and i'll say some things that don't make sense and i'll react to them and then when i see them react i'll kind of take photos of that or i'll take that path of the way they're reacting in that yeah. tone and i'll carry yeah. it through there but um it's it, it is about creating like an overstimulation, like it's a real <laughs> overstimulation technique and yeah. i've yeah. i've like definitely exhausted some talent on set with it. So overstimulation. you mean like getting them to do different things? Yeah, or... just getting a lot of movement and keeping the pace really fast, like especially like the first shot, like I like to get through the first shot as fast as possible and establish the tone and be like, look at that shot. It's awesome. And they're like, yeah, wow. But like, it felt, felt so crazy. Like getting them to understand that there's a, that there's a reason for all of the crazy overdirection and the super high energy. Once they see it, they can kind of get it and get into a rhythm. So as fast as I can get through that first one and show them like, oh, I know it sound, It felt like this is all going to feel really weird, but like, trust me, like it's going to be great. And they're like, no, no, no. Then they see it and they're like, wow. Yeah. Like that's a totally real moment. Cause you're really trying to make real things happen. Yeah. And like, you know, you can manufacture the environment to make the real things happen. And so that's what you're trying to do. Make the real moments happen. Absolutely. In, in a, in like, a, it's just a white box. A lot of times, you know what <laughs> I mean? There's not a lot to react to. So, so definitely like a lot of what you see is like a lot of, it's a lot of reaction to what I'm putting out there. Yeah. Um, and, and, and there's a, it's, it's a lot of what it is.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, one other question I want to ask you is how do you maintain is a little bit back to the previous subject, but how do you maintain a good work life balance, you know, especially having a family now?
1: You know, in the beginning of my career, and I've been working like about 10 years now, I used to take any job like and you should do that in the beginning. You should take any job. And I lived by coastal for a lot of years, too. And I would get on a plane for like anything. Yeah. And I was truly by coast, like an apartment in Brooklyn, an apartment out here. And I was living out of a suitcase and I, I alternated coasts every week for a better part of six or seven years. Uh, which was I I it's crazy. And it was and I was I would met my wife and we were together, and then we were married, and it was fine until it wasn't, mm. but it was about the idea that I was back and forth all the time and I was able to like work on both coasts and stuff like that. But I picked up I would literally do any job, like pretty much. And that was my thing. I was like, Yeah, I'll get on a plane. Like, oh, eighth of a page, quarter page. Cool. Yeah, I'll get there. I'll do it. <laughs> it didn't matter, you know what I mean? And and especially for like a lot of the bigger books like GQ and stuff, like I started. At GQ shooting, my first photo was, I think, like an eighth of a page, maybe a quarter of a page. Yeah. Oh, but I was, like, so excited. I didn't care. Like, it could be a postage stamp. Like, I was, like, I just love the idea of, like, shooting for GQ. I'm, like, I didn't care how big it was. Like, I was yeah. just, like, this is so badass to be able to do this. So, I kind of carried that, that kind of mentality about it where I was just excited to work. Yeah. So, I would get on a plane for anything. So, back then, it was, like, I was just taking everything and I didn't have a kid or anything. And yeah. now I have a kid, but also... I'm in a position where I don't want to do every kind of job and I, and and not every job that is brought to me always qualifies as a job that I feel like is, is, is worth doing. You know, for instance, like a travel job generally is minimum three days. I go to New York in like two days, a lot fly out, shoot the job straight to the airport, come back. But most travel jobs are like three days. So like for me to do a travel job is to give up three days, like, being in LA, being available for work here, and also being with my family. Mm-hmm. So the criteria for me doing travel jobs has gotten much steeper, right? Um, because I because I do work so much, and like a lot of times, like you know, you the, the last thing you want to do is give your time to a job you're lukewarm, give your time to a job you're lukewarm on, and then have like a crazy massive job come through, right? And either not be able to do it or have to pull your you know pull your time from from the original client because. You know, people understand if you have to do it for like a big ad job, like they understand dollars and cents and stuff like that. But you don't want to be the person that does that because it puts the people that are hiring you in a bad position. So I try not to give my time to jobs that I don't feel like I really, really want to do yeah. Um, because. Yeah, for all those things, like I have a I have an approval matrix that I run through in my mind with every single job <laughs> that comes to me. Yeah, like it has to check a certain amount of things me to do it because i want to really care about the things yeah. that i do
0: what kind of criteria do you have
1: i mean there's a lot there's a, the whole the matrix is basically passion for the job versus time invested versus uh finances of the job uh versus whether or not it includes travel versus relationship with client mm-hmm. future upside with management of talent or talent or the client or anything like there's a, there's a million different yeah. factors for whether or not it's, I mean, some jobs are a lot of job, you know, a lot of times, like the repeat clients are very automatic. Like, yeah. you know, GQ knows I'll do whatever. And Cosmo mm-hmm. knows I'll do whatever. Like, because that's the family, but you know, you have to be careful to take jobs that you care about, because if you take a job you don't really care about and you have to fake it, it's going to be harder. Yeah. And then it's like, and then it's in a weird way, like any other job, you know what I mean where like I, I I want to do jobs that I want to be there for, yeah, and i I want to not do jobs that I don't feel excitement for, because I feel like that's where I'm going to get the best stuff out of it, and that's just how I want to live yeah. as an artist like i i just i can't go to I can't not give a hundred percent when I go to a job and so and I can't just give it out all the time yeah so i'm so I'm careful to not spread
0: myself too thin, absolutely it's great, uh how did you? work your way you mentioned you started doing eighth quarter you know eighth yeah. page. how do you yeah. how do you work your way up to covers uh, <sighs> time patience hard work uh, a, a, a
1: ability of willingness to shoot anything and yeah. to make it look cool building good relationships being just the person that works hard mm-hmm. and not really like you know being a squeaky wheel in a way where you want to make sure that people like keep hiring you and yeah. being, being like pushy in a way where you kind of like want people to keep bringing you work, but not like complaining if it's not coming or complaining that you don't like the type of work. Yeah. Like just because I know because I was a photo editor, like, you know, what kind of stuff. I had one photographer I hired once and I was at Details and I hired him to shoot this job and it came out. It was like front of books, in front of the magazine. It was like whatever. And a couple of the photos ran really small because it was like part of a grid. He called me and was all complaining, like, you know, this photo's too small and I never would have done the job. And I was like, and it it wasn't like some huge photographer. So I was like, shit, man, like, I can't believe you're calling me or emailing me to actually complain about this. And I never hired him again. And I was like, you know, it's like a lot of times the photo editor, like, you're not in control of how the photo runs. And like, sometimes a photo gets killed or they don't have enough pages or whatever, like, I don't know. Like, you know, so you got to be really careful with that. So like, for me, it's like just being excited and treating every job with the same level of excitement Mm. and just being a team player and just being there and and being consistent and trying to get better all the time. And like, and just having good relationships. You know, I have such good relationships with everyone at GQ. I mean, they really are like an extended family for me because like I came up with so many of them. And so, you know, it's a, it's a patience thing. Like just, you know, be happy that you're working for cool titles. And like, I was just like, I didn't care. Like, I didn't care what it was. I was like, it is so awesome. And I am shooting for GQ. Like, I don't care what it is. Yeah. Like it could be a tie. Like I don't <laughs> care. You know, I didn't do a lot of, I didn't do a lot of still life for them. I don't even know if I did any, but like, um, yeah, I, it, it didn't matter. I was just excited to work and to get hired. I remember like the first job I did, I got like, you know, paid like $500 from the day. I was it's awesome. Like, what? What do you mean? This is incredible. And like, it's felt like, it yeah. felt like big stakes back then, but like, but it was just the, again, back to the idea of like, actually being someone that like makes a living using a camera. Yeah. Taking photos of things. It was just so awesome. So I'm just, I'm always like, I'm always like so fascinated with the idea of what it is to be a professional working artist. My wife is a stylist. And so we're very much, of a like mind of yeah. that kind of thing. And that's, that's also very, very important to kind of my life is having people that understand. Cause when I went to school, my mom was like, you're going to vocational school. And I was like, no, I'm like going to get a bachelor's <laughs> degree. And she thought it was, she just thought like it was crazy. And she thought my dad was behind it or whatever, but she kind of understood later yeah. that there was like a real significant thing that I was, that I was trying to
0: do. Yeah. Um, she, and so it was, it was fun. Absolutely. I mean, do you, get, do you and your wife work together that often? We we, we do. We 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 do
1: we go through phases where we do a bunch of stuff together and, you know, we end up working with a lot of her clients and I do a lot of shoots with her yeah. and a lot of collaboration projects she does and stuff like that. She does primarily red carpet stuff, but we do an increasing amount of uh, shoots together.
0: Oh, great. That's awesome. That's pretty good. She's she's, <laughs> she's pretty hilarious. That's awesome. That's awesome. You guys met on set?
1: And we met on set in Brooklyn in 2008.
0: Fantastic. love that. Really love good. that. A couple more questions for all the gearheads out there. What's, uh, what's your cameras of choice?
1: I've gone through like a lot of different cameras. My yeah. first camera ever was an Icon F3 that my dad gave to me because my dad went to RISD and he had like a photo studio back in the day. Yeah. So he gave me his F3 when I was like 14. So my, that was my first camera was an F3. And then I had a bunch of different other film Nikon uh, Nikon. Icon film cameras before that. My first medium format camera was a Contact 645, mm. which I loved. I loved it so much. It's such a beautiful camera. And then uh I got when digital started, I had a, a phase digital back for the contacts. Yeah. And then I had a phase digital back for Hasselblad. Because like in the beginning of like the pro high-end digital, it was like you didn't have a ton of options. Yeah. Everything was like 50 grand. Like yeah. the face factor 50 yeah. grand. And like honestly, like they were they were kind of shitty and uh the files weren't great looking and they didn't scale you could not shoot above 200 asa like 400 would fall apart (laughs) so i had those and then i went back to nikon i had a d3x d3x and then i had that for a while and then i got and then i got a d800 and then i went back into phase and had an iq250 on an h5x and then used that for a while the autofocus wasn't totally what I needed to be because of how fast I moved. So I went back to my D eight ten. So now I'm Nikon yeah. all the way nice. and it's like a $3,000 camera and it is, <laughs> it is incredible. Yeah. And I got it. I've done side by sides of the phase stuff and like, really, you'd be, you'd be pretty hard pressed to tell the difference. And I'm like pretty critical. I'm like, yeah, I can see little differences, but like you got a lot of things going on. You got your lighting, you got the chip, you got how you handle the files and you got the glass. Yeah. And you know, not all the glasses is, is, is the same. And so, um, I don't know. I, the Nikon I love. Yeah. Like, I love it. So do you ever shoot medium format digital? Uh, not since I sold my IQ. Wow. I had the IQ and the H5X and I used it for a while. And, and I, and, but I just found that I liked the ability to move around faster with the Nikon yeah. better. And like, just I got rid of it and I haven't shot film in a long time and I miss film yeah film is so beautiful but I just don't have time like you know I'm t- like a lot of times the turnaround first of all people want to see stuff immediately on set yeah. so we can move on the digital workflow for me in the beginning and I was I started when it was just starting yeah. so I never shot a job film like I shot digital from the start and yeah. the digital workflow was really scary for a lot of people in the beginning. But for me, it's such an incredible communication tool now because I can really show people what's happening and communicate with talent and show the client and digital. Like if you see, you really know when you have it because it's in your face, it's there and you check the focus and everything and you know when to move on. So it definitely helps the speed of it. Um, but I, I do, I miss film, but I just, I don't have the time. Like people can't wait that long. Yeah. Like film is beautiful, beautiful, always beautiful. Like you can't like digital, like, there's a lot of ways to fuck up your files in digital where it looks like shit. And I did it for a long time (laughs) before. And you always, and you always learn how to make it better, but film is beautiful, but I, I I miss it. But no, I haven't shot me. I mean, I love the feeling of medium format. Like I love it, but the the AF is just, is just not fast enough for me. It's just, I, I move around way too spastically on set to deal with missing (laughs) focus more than like 5% of the time. Yeah. And, 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 and the miss rate was just a little too high for me. Yeah. But I did. I love the feel of it. Yeah. Like I love the feel of the big camera, and the big viewfinder. It feels great. Absolutely. But um, Absolutely. I have like a, a viewfinder magnifier for the Nikon, so it has a, yeah. kind of bridges the gap a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, some
0: you know, film is great for personal work. I love to yeah. shoot it for personal work, yeah. but never really for.
1: Yeah, I used to have a four by five. I shot a four by five at <laughs> school, and like I've done eight by ten before and stuff. It's beautiful, but I just I don't I don't have the time. Yeah. Things move too fastly, and I I move on from jobs too quickly. Like for me when it when I shoot the job and it's in the can, like I'm pretty much moved on. I have to go through retouching like with the client, stuff like that. But you know, all my retouching is done, you know, by retouching houses and stuff like that. So yeah. I don't dwell on jobs after after a minute, so the film thing would stretch out a little bit longer. Yeah.
0: yeah. You're like, okay, bye. Speed, speed, <laughs> speed, speed, speed. Awesome. Well last question I'd love to ask all my guests is what does the phrase live inspiration mean to you?
1: <sighs> I think you t- you know, to live inspiration, you, is to, is to be prolific and is to create a lot of stuff all the time. And I think that you can inspire yourself by just staying within the rhythm of creating all the time. Yeah. That's really it. And it's like as much as you can create stuff, you know, will make it easier to create the next thing, you know? And I think that no one's going to make you do that stuff. Mm. You have to do it yourself. And I think that's that's how you do it. And it, it inspiration comes from just like staying excited yeah. and, and, and then always trying to reconnect with that, like little feeling inside of you that was why you got into it the first time, like that tiny little, like passionate moment where you love this thing and yeah. you're not thinking about the business, but this like this rush and this drug of just creating and, yeah. and creating something from nothing and, and seeing it and being able to like look at it and, 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 and play with it and stuff is, is really amazing. So
0: I think, uh, just creating, creating, yes. creating, cool, man. Love so, that. Well, you've inspired me.
1: All right. <laughs> go, on, go on make something. Go on and make something.
0: Where can people follow you? Find your work on the inter- uh, interwebs? It,
1: website, Eric Ray Davidson.
0: Yeah. Uh, Instagram, Eric Ray Davidson. Fantastic. Uh, keep it all really simple. Well, Eric, you are a rock star. I appreciate you coming on, taking the time. Thanks man. Thanks for coming by. Do you you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode of neon radio i'm your host nick onkin i hope you enjoyed today's episode and if you did i would love it if you could help us out by leaving us a good review over on itunes sharing this episode out on facebook twitter on any social media platform you desire and go over and join the neon life facebook community to connect with other creatives and share your inspirations and be inspired by others and you can find that at neonlife.com slash community i'd also love to hear what topics you'd be interested in hearing covered any questions you'd be interested in hearing asked and you can share those in the community so go and join and we'd love to see you there all the show notes and links are over at neonradio.com slash ep116 you can go find any links or anything there and with that You know what time it is. It's time to go out and create your life by creating every small moment. And we'll see you next time.